0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are.
1: Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity, And this show is most definitely all about the heart. You know, talking about sexuality is not something that is easy for everyone. And yesterday I was with a client, uh, a man in his late 50s, and he came in and he started talking about the fact that he knows he should be having sex, but he hasn't had sex in two years. And that made me realize how big of a conversation this really needs to be. We need to talk about why sex is good for our health and ways to maybe jumpstart our desire and our reconnectivity in order to have more pleasurable and connected sex with our partners. My guest this morning is going to help me by engaging in a conversation that might open your eyes, your mind, your heart, and maybe even your body to having more sex, more happy sex. Um, Dr. Laurie A. Brodo is the C- Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health and Executive Director for the Women's Health Research Institute. Dr. Brado is also a member of the International Academy of Sex Research, the Society for Sex Therapy and Research, the Canadian Sex Research Forum, and the Canadian Psychological Association. She has published over 100 articles and book chapters and has given presentations around the world. She's a frequent media guest on the topic of sexuality, and I am delighted to have you here. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Well, this is, this is a really important talk, but p- people often say, well, as they age, they're less interested in sex, they really don't care anymore, but there's compelling reasons. There are compelling reasons, I should say, why we need to be having sex.
2: Yeah, so so we know we've studied a lot about sort of the benefits of sexual activity. And in fact, uh, the World Health Organization has declared sexual health as a really fundamental part of, of life and health. So we know that a healthy sex life can be associated with better mood, better overall quality of life, better relationships, um, a, an ability to fight off stress And when we look more specifically within men and women at the individual benefits of engaging in consensual and satisfying sexual activity... We know that for women, for example, particularly as they age, that there can be a protective effect of the vaginal lining as women engage in sexual activity. So that old adage of use it or lose it certainly holds true for women in that engaging in vaginal penetration can actually increase uh, some of the local lubrication uh, that that the vaginal wall produces and make sex more comfortable and, and less dry. For men, there's also been a number of studies that have shown the benefits um, specifically of ejaculation, with which happens either during partnered or even unpartnered or solo sexual activity. So um, in the process of Of ejaculation and emitting semen, Um, there's a cleansing of the body that has been associated with a reduced risk for some types of uh, cancer that men can experience. So certainly there are our health and also psychological benefits that come from sexual activity.
1: Let's talk a little bit about psychological barriers. And in talking about the psychological barriers that maybe keep us from having sex or desiring sex, Um, You know, I know that for me, as I've aged, perhaps my libido might have decreased some, but to get myself to the place of wanting to have sex, I need to really block out the world.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So definitely distractions, worries. Uh, preoccupations there 's a wh- whole list of psychological barriers that uh, certainly as we as we age um, whether we 're in a relationship or not in a relationship, some of those barriers uh, can can get in the way even more so of a healthy sexual response so with regards to distraction, this can be anything from the very benign day to day distractions such as You know, is there milk in the refrigerator or what's on my to do list through to the more judgmental and negative distractions such as what if I don't reach orgasm or what if I disappoint my partner or what if this ends up being an unsatisfying experience for both of us and it results in conflict between us. So one of the things we know that such distractions, again, and it it really doesn't matter what what the content of the distraction is. But what we do know is that it can directly interfere with this very important feedback loop, this connection between the brain and the body. Um, and, And the brain is, you know, being the largest sex organ that's involved, if the brain is preoccupied with other thoughts or distractions, it's not sending those very important messages down to the body to continue the sexual response. And in turn, it's not receiving feedback, whether the body is becoming aroused or not. So really, it it severs that important connection.
1: What you just said, I think is really important and needs to be repeated that the brain is the largest sex organ in the body. You know, we never think of it that way. But it all starts there.
2: It sure does. Yes. And, and when we talk about this with individuals, whether they're clients in our offices or people we meet on the street or friends, um, it's often met with surprise because there there continues to be this prevailing belief that uh, bodies should just respond automatically. That if one is is touched and stimulated in a in a sexual location in the body, that that person will immediately become aroused and you know with enough physical stimulation, that person will reach orgasm. And yet we know that that is certainly an important part of the equation, um, but it's it's not sufficient for a, a, a really full sexual response and for psychological arousal to take effect.
1: So when we talk about um, the brain being the largest sex organ, it, it, it makes me uh, think of the fact that foreplay is something that starts much earlier in the day than the, the sexual encounter
2: absolutely and in, in fact we would even say that foreplay starts many days maybe even a week in advance and one of the important parts in building a sexual response is memory and so we have a library of past experiences sexual and not sexual that would impact how uh, whether we become sexually aroused or not um and so you know foreplay can take many many different forms sure there's the common forms of foreplay that we think about in the way of kissing and maybe hand-holding and caressing but also conversations can be a a type of foreplay flirting with a partner leaving a note in a in a partner's briefcase that they find on their way to work can be a form of foreplay Uh, deliberately evoking a memory of a past positive sexual encounter can also be foreplay so we want to really extend how we think about foreplay, and think about what are all of the things that we can put into place um, that would set the stage for becoming sexually aroused when that encounter arrives.
1: And there are some other more subtle forms of foreplay. And and I say this tongue-in-cheek because for me, that honey-do list, (laughs) when when items on the honey-do list get done, I'm like, I can pretty much guarantee that my partner, he's going to get lucky. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know you know it's like you know, doing the dishes, participating yeah. in the house, these little yeah. tiny things that we don't think of as being sexually charged become these acts of service that make can make many of us feel very loved and turned on.
2: Yeah, you're you are absolutely right about that. And there have been so many comics and memes depicting, you know, foreplay is the is the picture of, of the spouse vacuuming, you know, the living exactly. room. Um, and it's, you know, it's about what does that communicate to you? It communicates that you're important. It communicates, um, let me take some of the items off your to do list so that you can tend to maybe taking care of yourself, which. Um, we know for many women that they tend to put themselves at the very, very bottom of the of the to do list. So um, I, I completely agree and completely endorse many of those more subtle kinds of foreplay.
1: We're going to take a break and, and, but before we do, I want to, um, sort of set this up for the, for the next segment in, in talking about going back to psychological barriers. We have not talked about the elephant in the room and that is when there is sexual trauma in our histories and then, you know, circling back to what to do about it. And so we're going to explore more of that with Dr. Lori Brotto when we come back from the break to learn more about her work and regaining some sexual prowess, no matter where you are in your life. Please visit her website at www.lauribrotto.com on Twitter at Dr. Lori and that's L-O-R-I-B-R-O-T-T-O Dr. Lori Brotto. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Before we take off for that break, I want to mention the power of a beautiful smile. We all know that happiness is contagious, and so is a dazzling grin, and that's why I'm giving my mouth a dental tune-up with Smile Direct Club Invisible Aligners that are gently straightening and brightening my pearly whites at an affordable price. Smile Direct Club costs 60% less than other invisible aligners or braces. I'm enjoying this easy process that's progressively improving my smile as I work Play and sleep. Each month I receive a new set of custom crafted aligners delivered directly to my front door. No office visits, no wires, no brackets. Listen up, you can get started at home today with an impression kit for $95. But wait, listeners of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio receive a special promotion of 50% off this evaluation cost. And you can even save more because dental insurance plans reimburse customers for a portion of the cost of invisible aligners. And Smile Direct Club also accepts FSAs. Remember, listeners of this show will receive 50% off an in-home impression kit that normally sells for $95. And that's 100% covered by their smile guarantee. So if aligners aren't a good fit for you, you get your money back. Smile Direct Club's mission is straight to the point, making it clear and convenient to transform your smile no matter where you live. Your new smile is waiting at SmileDirectClub.co slash happiness. And be sure to use my unique promo code of happiness at checkout. Once again, that's SmileDirectClub.co. C-O-Happiness. And don't forget to use the promo code of happiness to save 50% off your in-home impression kit today. Here comes the break, we'll be right back, and that's a promise.
0: We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting
1: Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about making sexy time. Yes, we are. We're talking about how to restore your sexual urge, your vitality, when maybe your interest has been waning. My guest today is Dr. Lori A. Brodo. She is the Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health and Executive Director for the Women's Health Research Institute. She's also a member of the International Academy of Sex Re- Research and of various other organizations. In other words, she's a pro in this department. So, Lori, prior to mm-hmm. the break, we began to um, uh, talk a little bit about the elephant in the room, as I mentioned, which is when there is sexual trauma in our histories and how we can use mindfulness to work through and perhaps regain um a, a sexuality or a sex life that was lost.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by bisexual trauma, you know, I'm I'm speaking about it in reference to any encounter that an individual uh, may experience that involved lack of consent. So whether it's touching inappropriately, inappropriate words, um, through to sexual activity and penetration, uh, where the woman has not given consent. And we know that there can be lasting effects. Certainly not all uh, individuals who face sexual trauma have lasting effects, but about a third of individuals in our population have experienced sexual trauma, and many of them Do struggle in different areas of your of their lives as a result of the of the trauma, and in the domain of sexual function, that's one particular way that they can be impacted. Um, Now, it may be the case that a woman with a history of trauma finds herself in a very happy, a very satisfying relationship with someone uh, with whom she's very attracted. Um, The sexual encounters are consensual, but what might happen to to women in particular is the act of of sex itself might elicit a, a, a trigger and bring her back to that period of her life where she experienced the trauma so essentially, she might, her mind might be transported to a, a, a to- totally different place where she feels extreme aversion and disgust and sadness and all sorts of thoughts such as this is wrong, this is dirty. Yet, this is in the context of, you know, a safe relationship and, and uh, a consensual sexual experience. So one of the strategies that uh, my laboratory over the years has tested and, and found to be very effective for this group of women is the use of mindfulness meditation. And so this involves the practice, um, which has uh, has long historic roots in Buddhist meditation over a 4000 year history but really, over the last um, three to four decades has, has made its way into Western healthcare. And this involves practicing moment-by-moment, moment non-judgmental awareness. And so if a woman has a history of sexual trauma, we might encourage her to practice mindfulness um, in a non-sexual situation. So perhaps 10, 20, or 30 minutes a day, typically with a guided meditation practicing guiding the mind onto whether it's a particular part of the body or the breath. Over time, as she becomes more confident um, with the practice, she then focuses on staying in the here and now during the sexual activity, and it can be a very useful skill for women.
1: Well, I think it's just a useful life skill period, whether it's in the bedroom or elsewhere, to practice practice, Presence, Which is a challenge for many of us. The busier we become, the more demands there are in our lives, with our families, with our careers. It, it can truly be a challenge. So I think that using mindfulness, as you describe, is a wonderful way to reconnect with your body, with your partner, with the, with the moment.
2: Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And, and over the years, we and others have been able to really study, uh, just how, how much does, does this make a difference? Does it help women and men? Um, are there lasting effects? And so over the last 12 or so years, there's been quite a, an accumulation of very compelling scientific evidence showing that yes, this can be a really helpful way of cultivating sexual desire, of tuning into sexual arousal, of reducing sexual distress, um, and then improving many of the associated. Uh, psychological traits such as mood, reducing anxiety and stress, helping folks to feel more connected to their partner. So certainly the benefits extend far beyond improving sexual function and sexual response.
1: And when we talk about um, its uses for men, Mm -hmm. you know, for men, oftentimes the, the objective is to slow down the sexual response. And so they're thinking about things that may not be in the room right? So they're thinking about, I don't know, taxes and, um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and paperwork uh, because yeah. they don't want to, they, they don't want to uh, have an orgasm sooner than their partner. So how do, how do men use these mindfulness techniques to help slow them down and bring them more present?
2: Yeah. So it's it, fascinating question. And, and it's, it may seem somewhat paradoxical that tuning in to the sexual response can actually you know, slow down the sexual response and help a man sustain his erection and delay uh, his orgasm until later on in the encounter. But one of the things we know is that as men feel pressured and as they focus on reaching orgasm, it can actually speed up the process. So this um, unfolding of just noticing sensations, sensations in the genitals, sensations at that those points of contact between the two partners um, can really help help really both partners maybe notice sensations that they weren't aware of before. Um, There's also a very strong stress reducing effect of mindfulness and that's both physiologically. So a reduction in the stress hormone, a reduction in some of the muscle tension that happens with stress, um, as well as psychological. So a reduction in feeling pressured or feeling anxious. And all of that is really important for a, a healthy sexual response in women and men.
1: So, what I think I'm hearing you say is that when we're in that mindfulness state, that we become more process oriented as opposed to goal oriented.
2: Absolutely. Yes. And and one of the things that we encourage uh, our clients to do is treat this as a brand, totally brand new encounter, even if this is with the same partner and you're doing the same activities that you've done for uh, years or even decades. But the reality is, is that this particular encounter is brand new. And so can you experience it? Can you notice it as if for the very first time? And it's quite remarkable the number of of individuals who, who will say, wow, I, n- I never noticed that before.
1: This is really interesting to treat that encounter as if it were a brand new encounter. And, and, and like you say, it is. It is. But for, for those of us who have been with our partners for many years or decades, and mm-hmm. it's like same old, same old. Yeah, you love the guy, but <laughs> you
2: know, mm-hmm.
1: th- this is a, a, a challenge to approach the, um, the opportunity very differently. And I can, I can
2: see how that would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for, for any listeners who might be curious, but a little bit skeptical, um, my suggestion is always, you know, try it, experience for it, it for yourself. Don't take my word for it that it works. Try it out for yourself and and observe what happens.
1: So in other words, date your partner.
2: Yeah, date your partner. And we know that sexual desire is the highest at the very beginning of, of a relationship when when things are new, when there 's you know a bridge to cross, and so part of what makes mindfulness so powerful and cultivating desire is by noticing sensations moment by moment again, we, we notice things, we pay attention to things, we observe things, we come to know things in in a slightly different way than is totally familiar.
1: I remember years ago reading a book, I think it was entitled "The Passionate Marriage." Mm -hmm. And the Schnarks, um, they were two doctors, Dr. Schnark and Schnark. They were talking about, um... Um, seeing your partner at work, that when you see your partner in his or her element and how um, switched on they may be about what they're doing and how others respond to them. So seeing your partner out in the world in a professional capacity can also be quite stimulating because you're seeing a newness that you don't normally get to view in his or her personality.
2: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And Esther Perel has written and spoken a lot about this in mating in captivity. And essentially it it's it does boil down to observing something that is new. We know that our brains respond to novelty. In fact, they're drawn to novelty. And yet how do you infuse novelty in a in a you know 50 year long relationship? Um and the answer is is that you, we can. We can see things in a slightly different way. And one of the ways to do that is to pay exquisite detail to things. And again, when we do that, we notice things in, in a way that maybe we haven't before.
1: Going back to what you said earlier, the brain is the largest sex organ. It sure right? is. <laughs> mm-hmm. we're, we're out of time. And I want to ask one more question. This is just my own curious question about men, their orgasms, and why they pass out afterwards and how can we bottle this for the rest of us (laughs)
2: why do men pass out so i mean we know that some of the hormonal effects that happen after folks reach orgasm and oxytocin in this case they can have opposite effects in men versus women and uh yet there's also other research fantastic research coming from amy muse's lab in toronto canada that shows that seven minutes after orgasm is a is a critical time for those for those, uh, those partners to hold one another and bond one another and that that can actually have lasting effects on their relationship satisfaction. So uh, my advice would be hold off on the falling asleep, spend seven minutes touching and caressing one another after orgasm, uh, and your relationship will thank you for it
1: a perfect a perfect place to stop for now to learn more about dr Lori brado's work please visit her website www.loribrado.com. on twitter you can connect with her at dr laurie brado Lori, thank you for joining us
2: oh my pleasure it's it's been
1: delightful thank you uh, likewise come back and hang out with me here come the tunes we'll be right back
0: nothing gives happiness like a free gift Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain: happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy, or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control. Ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio.
1: If you're just joining us now, we are talking about sexy through the ages, maintaining your love life after midlife. And my next guest has been studying this for years. Dr. Emily Schreier is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development at California State University, Long Beach. She received a PhD in social psychology at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. Dr. Schreier's expertise is in the area of adult development and aging. Her research explores psychological, social, and cultural processes involved in maintaining happiness and well being across the adult life course. Welcome, Dr. Schreier.
3: Thank you, Lisa. I'm glad to be here.
1: So happy to have you. This is, you know, because I'm in the the ripe, juicy middle of this myself, I'm quite interested on how we can maintain the right, healthy attitude as we age and, and keep our sexuality alive.
3: Well, I think one of the most important things to do to keep your sexuality and your life happy as you get through as you go through uh, middle age and older life is to keep a really positive perspective on what's going to happen as we age to maintain our sense of well-being and happiness and vitality and and just a general sense of positivity as we approach um, the later part of our lifespan well what's interesting
1: about what you've just shared are, are two things First, I want to talk about the U-Curve study that was done many years ago uh, about aging and happiness. But before I, I ask you about that, I want to inquire from your academic perspective and research perspective, what happens when we see people who are not aging well? You know, we might have parents or grandparents who have not cared for themselves well, and we see the descent into old age and the final destination is not a happier, good one. How how do we um, um, counterman that?
3: I think we see sometimes um, people in our lives who maybe aren't doing quite as well in later life, um, quite as well in terms of their journey into older age. And we see them and we think that perhaps that's also our our journey and our path. But yeah. I think what people forget is that there's a lot of different pathways to to life, through life. And in fact, we actually get more different as we get older. Uh, the journeys and the pathways that we have through life really become more and more diverse the older we get and so you'll see one person who maybe isn't doing quite as well and then you don't tend to maybe focus on the other people who are doing really well the jane fondas in life who are you know 79 and still really vital and really happy and so we tend to focus maybe too much on the negative we tend to focus too much on that one person who's not doing quite so well
1: you make a very good point
3: you know focusing on the jane
1: fondas or the helen mirrens or these kinds of of icons that we see in the media that have aged not only gracefully but have gotten better as they yes. have aged. Yeah, you make a you make a good point there. Let's talk for a minute about the U curve and I'm sure you're familiar with that study. Some of our listeners might not be so maybe you could share a little bit about that and your findings.
3: Sure. So one of the things that we know, so we have the stereotype that as people get older, they become less happy, right, with life. But in truth, what happens seems to happen across the lifespan is that, in fact, there can be a bit of a dip in happiness around midlife. But when we as we start getting older, we actually become more happy and more satisfied with life. And so when you're looking at happiness across the lifespan, and you're looking at people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, they actually tend to report really quite high levels of happiness and satisfaction with life. And do you attribute that to the amount of
1: responsibility, um, raising children, the stressors of trying to do it all um,
3: at that phase of life that tends to dampen our happiness? Yes, around midlife, we have a lot of things on our plate, right? We have our children that we're trying to take care of. And sometimes we're also providing care for our parents and we have a lot of responsibilities at work. So there's tends to be a little bit of a dip right around your 40s um, where you just have a lot to, to deal with and so what happens as we get into later life is that some of those responsibilities are in fact uh, relieved you have you don't have the same kind of childcare responsibilities you have more flexibility in terms of your life and so there tends to be this increase in happiness when we get towards our later life and what about sexuality you know, is there any correlation
1: between a dip in sexuality during that period? Because we have so much going on that we feel less likely to want to, you know, play
3: around or and we've got a hormonal shift in women in particular. What's up with that? Well, there, there is a. There is a dip in midlife in terms of um, when you obviously when you have a lot in your plate when you have a lot of stressors, there can be a little bit of a decline in your opportunity to have sex and your, your sort of your interest in sex. When we're really busy, when we're really stressed, maybe we're not quite as interested in sex. And certainly when we don't have those stressors, when we have a little bit more free time then we have time for everything, including, of course, having sex and enjoying sex. And, and and I think that's a challenge for
1: many people. As we age, we live in such a busy society. There There's a lot pulling at our attention. And I find that um, when one is in that space, and I hear this not just from my own self, but in clients that I work with, where they say, you know, I just, uh, it's just like, uh, I'd rather sleep. I'd rather watch a movie. I'd rather have a, give myself a break. Right. And when, when in fact, the sex is so good for our bodies and our brains.
3: Right. I mean, it's so important for your relationships. It's so important for your enjoyment in life. But when you're tired, when you've had a lot of other things happen throughout that day, sometimes the urge is just to go home and sleep. It's not to maybe go home and um, be intimate with your partner. Let's talk a little bit about subjective
1: age. You know, the difference between what our driver's licenses tell us and what
3: we feel. Right. Right. So there's this really interesting psychological phenomenon that um, throughout our lifespan, we don't always feel the same age that we are. And it tends to shift across the lifespan. So when you're talking about people who are in their teen years, oftentimes 16, 17, 18 year olds will feel a little bit more mature than they actually are. But around your 30s, that starts to shift where you start feeling, on average, people tend to feel a little younger than they are. And by the time we get to about the age of 40, on average, most people feel around 20% younger than they actually are. And this thing, this thing where we feel younger than we are is actually pretty important because it's associated with a lot of really positive things. So if you feel younger than you are, it's associated with living longer. It's associated with being happier in life. It's associated with A lot of really important health outcomes. And
1: how does the attitude impact our overall health and well being?
3: Having a positive attitude, feeling young, and also believing that aging is not a bad thing. It's actually the combination of both of those things. It's about maintaining um, a really happy and positive attitude towards life and feeling younger than you are, but also. Believing that growing older is not such a bad thing. It's those two things, both of those things, that seem to be really important for maintaining your happiness and health in and well, and later life.
1: I have a question, uh, or, or really a, a comment, about North Americans in particular. In North America, and I'm not so sure about in Canada, we really prize youth, right? So this, this the, the beautiful, live model is the epitome of happiness and success and perfection and for women in their 50s 60s 70s and beyond that image is not the reality and if and if the media tells us well that's what aging should look like you know that perfection getting maybe a few stray gray hairs none of us will ever measure up none of us will ever be happy and i do see this a lot and i'm sure you do too
3: absolutely i see it all the time people see these unrealistic expectations and they don't feel like they can quite measure up and, and what's the antidote is it is it how do we change the
1: perspective on aging in america in particular
3: well, I think part of it's going to be seeing more older people on television, seeing people, more more women who are middle-aged, more women who are older of all different types of body shapes and all different ages on the television, in advertisements, seeing maybe not so quite so many images of perfection so that people can have more models of what it means to age and what it means to age well. I, I agree with you, but I think this is a
1: challenge. I mean, maybe things will shift now that... Um sort of the sex sexism in, in Hollywood is, is on the table and people are coming, uh, coming uh clean about what's really going on behind the scenes. But I think you're fighting an uphill battle. Not you p- particular, but we are, because um beauty is so prized, youth is so prized. It's a billion dollar, you know, industry for cosmetics and, and and skincare creams. And it's not a bad thing. They're 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 quite fun. But um do we have unrealistic expectations about being able to maintain beauty and age well or gracefully and should we say forget about it? Let's go
3: gray and, and let the wrinkles rain. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, I think we definitely do have these unrealistic models. And I hope that with everything that's happening in Hollywood um, with all of our new opportunities for different types of media and different types of television shows that you're seeing nowadays with different kinds of representations of people of all ethnicities and ages. I hope that that really does have an impact on people's uh, way of looking at themselves. But it certainly is, I think, an uphill battle. And I think one of the things that we do have to do, perhaps as women, is we do have to be more comfortable and more accepting of the gray hairs and maybe not quite fight them quite as much not only the gray
1: hairs it's it's the the whiskers and the cellulite <laughs> yes. and the cur-
3: and the curves
1: that weren't there that are there now right. and i think that's that's very challenging for many people to embrace well once my body was this and now it's that and it's pretty hard to feel sexy um, when you're thinking that isn't beautiful
3: Definitely. And I think we just have to come to love our cellulite a little bit more and, and love our stretch marks a little <laughs> bit more and be more positive about each other's stretch marks and cellulites and gray hairs. You know, I think that's it.
1: I, I, I embrace that is worth loving. And, and and not just for women, but for men, too. I mean, I, I think that men are actually more forgiving towards women and their curves than women are.
3: Yeah, I think that's true. I think sometimes we're hardest on each other when it comes to imperfections. Agreed. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to
1: continue the conversation with Dr. Emily Schreier. And we're going to talk about her article, The Effects of Subjective Age and Aging Attitudes on Mid to Late Life Sexuality. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back.
0: Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. And other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when? Or, I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to
1: download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's yummy and it's delicious. We're talking about Sexuality as We Age. And my guest today is Dr. Emily Schreier, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development at California State University, Long Beach. Dr. Schreier co authored a wonderful article entitled The Effects of Subjective Age and Aging Attitudes on Mid to Late Life Sexuality. Dr. Schreier, talk a little bit about the article and some of your co authors
3: and your findings. Um, So this is a paper that I co-authored with Stephen Mock from the University of Waterloo and Amy Steele, who was a graduate student at the University of Waterloo, as well as Richard Ibach, who's also a professor at the University of Waterloo. And this is a project where we were interested in looking about the effects of a thing called subjective age, which is, of course, how old you feel inside, and also how people felt about aging, their perspectives on aging, on their experiences of sex over time. And so what we did in this study is we looked at people over the course of 10 years. And this is using data from an online existing study called the Midlife in the U.S. study. And so what we did was we looked at how people's feelings of subjective age, how old they felt inside, how it affected their um, Both their attitudes towards sex, their interest in sex, and how frequently they had sex over the course of 10 years. And we also looked at their attitudes towards aging, whether they saw aging as a more positive or a more negative thing. We looked at how that also affected their experience and interest in sex over time. And what we found, which I think was really interesting, was we found that how old people felt inside had a really important effect on their interest and the quality of sex that they had over time. So people who felt younger inside said that they they maintained better quality of sex as they got older, and they were more interested in sex as they got older. And we found the same thing was true for those people who uh, had more positive views about aging. So those people who felt that aging was a good thing, was a positive thing, they maintained a better quality of their sex life as they got older.
1: Fascinating. And, and I think the, the the upside of aging is the ability for one to feel more at at home in one's skin, right? So there's less concern about what others think or social comparison. I mean, we're hard enough on ourselves, right? We don't really need an external choir. (laughs) Absolutely. So the idea that we can be more um, um, self-possessed in a positive way, I I definitely see how that correlates with having a uh, higher level of satisfaction with, with one's sexuality. Talk about the quantity of sex that we're having as we age.
3: Sure. So we do have a little bit less sex as we age, but people who are interested in having sex at a younger age do continue to have sex at an older age. So the quantity of sex that we have goes down a little bit, but not by a huge amount, by maybe once less a month that people tended to have sex a little bit less as they got older. But the people who were having sex when they were younger and they were having sex more frequently, they continued to have sex when they got older
1: okay that's really good to know <laughs> <laughs> my, my partner is going to be very happy you know he's going to he's going he's gonna to feel like this was well well worth our time on the radio t- menopause perimenopause and menopause and hormonal shifts not just in women but in men too because i think there is a myth out there that it is just the women but men also go through these shifts
3: Yes, they do. Absolutely. So there are shifts in terms of our, our hormonal levels. Um, and that's true for both men and women as they age. It happens a little bit differently, of course, for men and women. For men, it tends to be a little bit more gradual. For women, there is a little bit more of an abrupt shift, I think, in midlife. But for both men and women, there can certainly be changes in hormones. And those hormonal level shifts do affect our the frequency with which we have sex and perhaps to a lesser extent our interest in having sex. But but it sounds like that if if the interest is there when
1: you're younger, the interest usually remains when you're older. And I find that really promising.
3: Yeah, we don't suddenly become different people when we grow older. If we like and enjoy sex when we're younger, then that those same kind of urges and those same kind of desires are still going to be there when we're older. Well, you know, it's interesting, like if you look at
1: um, retirement homes or uh, assisted living facilities, a. A a single male is a prized commodity in those places, right? And there's a reason for it. (laughs) Talk a little bit about that. I mean, because we think of of aging, but I'm talking about old, old, like 80s and 90s. There's no
3: uh, physiological reason to stop doing it. Absolutely not. As long as you're still enjoying it, you should still keep doing it. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, We don't become asexual when we grow older. We still enjoy the sex, and there's nothing wrong with having sex when you're 80 or 90 or 100 or however old you are. If it's something that you enjoy, you should still keep on doing it. And it, it brings happiness.
1: It actually brings a chemical response in the body that elevates our well-being levels. I mean, there's compelling reasons why we should be doing it. Yep, there
3: is. It's better for your health. It's good for your relationships. Um, it helps people be happy. And so all those things are really important, and it's important to maintain that across the lifespan, no matter how old you are. So I've got a couple of questions about,
1: um, uh, like, if you were to give somebody some tips or tools to, to, to grow gracefully with besides attitude, what would
3: you say? Go home and practice what? Um, I mean, a lot of it is attitude. And, of course, part of it is maintaining your health. That's really important. Make time for yourself. Make time for um, doing the things that you really enjoy doing, um, doing the activities that you really enjoy doing, and spend time with other people. So that's another really important thing. Um, Something that's really important for maintaining your health as you grow older is to, to constantly be engaging with other people and to be interacting with other people and to maintain a really good social network hang out with your friends, spend time with your family. Those are going to be some of the important things that help you maintain your health and well-being as you grow older.
1: And when we talk about meaning also, I'm thinking of a study that was done by Dr. Ellen Langer at Harvard many years ago, and it, it, it had to do with um, people who were living in a nursing home that I believe were given plants to care for, and the impact that the, that the care of the plants caused on their overall well-being. The fact that they had to be responsible for the plant, water the plant, and tend to it gave them
3: something, something of meaning to do. Talk a little bit about the importance of that. Yeah, we need to maintain a sense of control over our lives. So what sometimes happens when people go into nursing homes, um, and that's what that study found, was that they go into these nursing homes and then their all of their control is taken away, all of their choices are taken away, and they're they're told that they're going to be taken care of. But when somebody is taking care of you, it takes away your kind of sense of your control over your own your own life. It takes away your goals and your desire to continue to engage with life and so what happens when you take those things away is that people people become passive and they kind of start to decline and so one of the really important things in life and it one of the really important things in terms of aging is for people to always have a sense that they control their life to be able to make decisions about their own life and to maintain their impetus to do stuff and to stay engaged in life um in throughout the the lifespan. And that, That's if you're in a nursing home or if you're living independently, you want to maintain those goals, maintain that sense of independence, regardless of what kind of living situation you're in. It's interesting you say that. I had
1: a friend who had a mom who lived till she was, I think, 99 or 100, and every day she would get up and rake leaves. (laughs) <laughs> that was her that was her job and 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 the fact that she was able to get up and rake leaves at that age certainly contributed to her longevity it gave her a sense of purpose it gave her exercise it gave her fresh air and vitamin c and vitamin d and all the good stuff you get from nature
3: bathing and she, this was the light of her day each day Yes, my own grandmother is, I think she just turned 97, and she lives completely independently. And I think that's part of the thing that keeps her going, is the fact that she makes her own decisions. If she wants to get up in the morning, and if she wants to go and uh, plant her garden, then she can do that. And she really maintains an aspect of every part of her life, and she sets goals for herself. Um, she wrote a book Um, about a couple of years ago, she took courses in later life. She took, she got her, um, university degree when she was in her eighties. And those were the things that really keep her going and really allow her to maintain her life and her sense of independence and, and really help to keep her well being. Oh, I bet she's an amazing woman to sit and talk with. Yes, absolutely. She's wonderful and hilarious and very, very wise.
1: Wow. Very, very cool.
3: Yeah. I think that it's the showing up. You know,
1: if we were to to summarize all of this, it really, you you speak to attitude, which is where we started our conversation, but it's like, how are we going to show up for life?
3: Yeah, it it really is all about showing for life and um, staying engaged with life and being that person who is still present, no matter how old you are. Yeah. So practicing presence would be the other tip, right? (laughs) Definitely.
1: Wow well, I, I hope you'll come back and hang out with me. I, this, these kinds of conversations are inspiring to me because I, I feel like for many of us who are in the ripe juicy middle of life, we want to know that there are good things to look forward to, that it's not you know ache, it's not aches, pains and doctors' appointments that the flip side of that is this very fulfilling um, satisfying life experience no matter what age we are.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I'm in the middle of that point where I'm in the middle of my life as well, and I think it's really important to to have a good perspective on life and understand that our life remains happy and fulfilling um, regardless of where we are at it, and we can still maintain a really good sense of, of happiness, we can still stay active, we can still stay, stay happy and fulfilled people, um, whether we're 60 or 70 or 90 or 100. And more of us are going
1: to start living to to be in our hundreds. There's are, no reason yes. no reason not to. And keeping moving is definitely, I think, one of the one of the ways we get there. Dr. Emily Schreier, thanks for joining us on the show today. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Lori Brodo, and Dr. Emily Schreier wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day, and we'll be back next week.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on TokiNet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.